Well, let me throw this up there, and I want you to discuss this. It's a two, two-fold question. What do you enjoy doing most in your life? What do you enjoy doing most in your life? So you say, well, any, any chance I get, I'm going fishing. Okay, so second question, follow-up to that is, what would you do if you had six hours of free time all by yourself? Now, Michael, I'm looking at you because we've got young kids. We're like, yeah, when is that supposed to happen, right? So, but you have six hours. You can go play golf. You can go fish. Your wife is out of town. She's taking the kids. You only have six hours because you've got to be at work, and you're going to go do something. Share around the table what it is. Ready, set, go. All right, guys. Did we hear anything really good around the table? Anybody got a very creative hobby or something they want to share or they want to tell on somebody else? Anybody? Nobody? So it was just all the normal fishing, golf, football, nothing? Jason Walters? Oh, right here? I was say, Jason, I love you, but I, I don't see it. I don't see it. So. All right, so skateboarding, so you got six hours, you can go do something, you want to go skateboard. Awesome. I, I can't stand up on a skateboard, so so that's that's cool. That's cool. Anybody else? If he had six hours, he would build a server. I think that's something to do with technology, so thank you for that. Wow. Lot smarter than I am right there. A server, that's pretty cool. Anything without the kids. We don't have the kids, just, all right, good. All right. Well, let's do this. We, uh, first two weeks, we talked about identity. Drew spoke on identity, where our identity should be found in. We, we all know the answer to that. It should be found in Christ, and yet oftentimes we, uh, we get sidetracked, don't we? And then the second topic we talked about was vocation. We talked about how our work is a calling, how God has called us to certain things. And each one of us, just like this guy right over here who's building a server in his spare time, God has uniquely gifted us. Yeah, we, we, but, but God has uniquely gifted him, and his mind works differently than my mind works and differently than your, your mind works. And so God has placed a call on our lives for some type of vocation. Well, we want to switch gears just a little bit, and this is the third topic we want to talk about. And the topic is this. Now, before I give it to you, don't be like, oh, are you kidding me? Here's the topic. This is from Barna Research. They researched and found these five areas were the five areas men said we need someone to speak into our life about, okay? And so here's the third one. It is well-being, well-being. Now you say, what in the world does that mean? Well-being, they, they, they looked at these six areas for each man. Mental health, friendships, spiritual health, a work-life balance, leisure and rest, and future. Here's what they found, that men that proclaimed to be Christians had more satisfaction in their life than men that didn't claim to be Christians. Now, we would all hope that to be true, right? But here's what they also found from men that claimed to be Christians. They found that anywhere from one-third to one-half of men self-identified. They said this in their own life, that they were lonely. Had nothing to do with a spouse, not having a spouse or having a spouse, had nothing to do with having a ch- children or not having children, had nothing to do with the fact that they may have a job where they're working around a lot of people or not. They found one-third to one-half of men self-proclaimed they're lonely. And most of the reason they found that was because they found that men were either just workaholics or, to be honest with you, they were lazy. 
And so we want to talk just a little bit about that tonight, and we'll be in Philippians chapter 3, but before we get there, I want you to discuss these six areas for just a moment, and here's the discussion question. Which one of these areas do you struggle the most in to find time to cultivate? In other words, which one of these areas do you think, I just don't really give any time to that? I don't, I don't have the, the margin in my life to spend any time investing in my spiritual health. Well, we, I don't think that would be true in this room because you're here on a Wednesday night to hear from God's word. Or I don't have any time at all to spend um, in any type of leisure or rest. I'm either at work or I'm with my children and there's no time for me to have any time... Which area of these do you struggle in? And for me, I'll just tell you right off the bat, it is to find this, this, this space, this margin in my life for leisure and rest. I'm not talking about going to sleep at night. I'm saying just something that I enjoy doing that may not involve either work or may not, like Brian said, involve my children. And, and I've talked to Tim before. Tim one time told me, uh, was, I don't know if you remember this, Tim. This is like 10 years ago. I said, Tim, uh, it's Father's Day this Sunday. What, what are you going to do? He said, this is the one day a year I get a nap. Do you remember that? You remember saying that? And I thought, well, I only had one child. I thought, well, praise the Lord, but good night. Is that what I have to look forward to? A guilt-free nap. Uh, so he naps all the time, but that was the guilt-free nap on that Sunday. So that's, uh, that's good. That's so good. I didn't remember that part. So good. Okay, so take a few minutes around your table. Which one of these areas do you struggle in just to find the time? to work on that area. Ready, set, go. All right, guys, let's pull back together for a few minutes. You know, I think what happens oftentimes is we we really end up compartmentalizing our lives. So this is kind of my work life. This is my family life. This is my hobby life. This is my church life. And we don't like any of those things to overlap at all. Now, maybe our family does into some of those areas, because we're with them a lot. But, you know, our work life is there. And our church life is there. And our hobby life is there. I'll give you a story real quick. And then we'll look at Philippians chapter 3. A friend of mine was coaching football at a school. And another friend of mine worked for an organization that wanted to go into schools and share the gospel. And so this friend of mine that was going into schools and sharing the gospel, he went to this coach and said, hey, coach, could we get some time with your players? And he said, listen, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. But when we're on the football field, it's football. They can do that in the church or you can do that after hours. And I think if we're not careful, we will so compartmentalize that that we will remove ourselves as a Christian in every area of our lives. You see, we're not an electrician that happens to be a Christian. We're not a doctor that happens to be a Christian. We are Christians that happen to do something else. And God has a very specific calling for every believer. Now, there are some things that he may call one of you to do and and someone else to do something else, and he gifts us in different ways, but there are some things in Scripture that he calls all of us to do. For instance, he calls all of us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He calls all of us to love our neighbor as ourselves. He calls all of us to be a good Samaritan when he gives that parable to the disciples. He calls all of us to share the gospel and make disciples. Now, it doesn't mean we're doing it, but that calling is on every one of us. And I think if we're not careful, we'll segment our life out so much so that the Lord has a place in certain parts of our lives, but we've not given him all of our lives. 
And so when we go to Philippians chapter 3, I want us to start in verse 12. And we're going to read through the end of the chapter. It says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their own shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. You say, that was a mouthful. There's a whole lot going on in that passage. And there is. We could probably do a 16-week series on just these verses because there's so much to unpack out of them. And my goal tonight is not to unpack every truth we can find in there. My goal tonight is not to go, honestly, very deep in here. My goal is just to make a couple observations that we'll put on the screen in just a moment and we'll actually discuss around the table. But a couple things just jump out at me right off the bat. Paul, if you were just to take this one verse, sounds extremely arrogant when he says, hey, brothers, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me is what the King James says. In other words, look at my life and pattern your life after me. And if you were just to take that verse out of context, you would say, my goodness, what an arrogant statement. But Paul wasn't doing that. Because if you back up into verse 12, he's literally describing the Christian faith as a man or woman running in a race. He's talk about, talking about pursuing the prize. He's talking about running after it with everything they had. You know, we've got the Olympics going on. Is anybody watching the Olympics? We actually have a few hands. Okay, I haven't seen one second of the Olympics. And I usually love watching the Olympics. Life is just busy right now. I haven't been watching, but I really enjoy the Summer Olympics. And I specifically enjoy those guys that get out there like Usain Bolt and they can run like the wind. And I specifically think it's fascinating, Ken, by how much time and energy and effort they invest in being the very best in the world. Now, I want you to think about this. Paul is saying that we are to pursue Christ like a runner is pursuing the prize of the end goal. Now, what does a runner do? A runner has to change everything about himself. He changes his diet. He changes the time in which he gets up and the time in which he goes to bed. He changes the clothes he's wearing. I was reading today some articles where they'll shave all the hair off their bodies just to be a little more aerodynamic. They change their clothing because they don't just walk around dressed in spandex all the time. I mean, they change everything about themselves and they are so sold out that some of these guys are working out for 12 to 14 hours a day. And then they'll sleep in special chambers 
as their bed to get exact right oxygen that their body needs because doctors have studied the exact intake in which they need. I'm telling you, they've changed everything to do what? To try to obtain one little metal. Now, I want you to stop and think for just a moment. Would it not be incredible to have a gold medal? Good night, I'd take a bronze medal. Wouldn't that be great? But I don't know, just between us in this room, and maybe some of you have been an Olympic athlete, and maybe some of you have competed at the highest possible level in whatever sporting thing it may be, but here's the reality. I just don't know that that's worth it. But here's what Paul's saying. The way in which that runner pursues the prize is the way you and I are to pursue Christ. The question is, what is the prize? What is the, what is the prize? What are we going after? I was reading today, or yesterday, excuse me, uh, in, in John MacArthur's uh, uh, commentary on this very passage, and he, this is what John MacArthur said. He says, the prize is Christ-likeness. The prize is Christ-likeness. So number one is this. Your goal is Christ-likeness. That's our goal. That's what the prize is. Now, here's the question of the hour. If a runner is doing everything he can in order to obtain the prize, in order to obtain the medal, he has an end goal that he knows he can either obtain or he's just not going to be good enough and he'll have to be satisfied with fourth or fifth or whatever the case may be. But he has something he's seeing and it is humanly possible to obtain. The issue for us is it is not humanly possible to obtain Christ-likeness and be exactly like Christ. We cannot be perfect in every way except through the blood of Jesus Christ, but the reality is we're going to wake up tomorrow and mess up again. We're going to wake up tomorrow and we're going to fail in some area. We're going to wake up tomorrow and we're going to have a thought that's not from Christ and we're going to let it sit in our mind a little while and we're going to get discouraged. That's not what Christ does. So we're never going to reach that goal until when? Either he takes us home or he comes back to get us. But it doesn't keep us from pursuing that because Paul says that is the goal. That is to be what we're going after. So I think of a runner and I think about all of these things that he's going after with everything he's got. And he has a goal in mind. For you and I as believers in Christ, the goal is not to hit 65 and retire. The goal is not to have the best 401k we can possibly have. The goal is not to live in a nicer house. The goal is not to drive a better car. The goal is not to be able to go to the Super Bowl one day or the Olympics or whatever you want to go to, whatever's on your bucket list. That is not the goal as Christians. Our goal should be to be like Christ. And so as we look at a runner, and they study each other, by the way. I was reading an article today where they are literally downloading data these, a lot of these runners are actually trying to go to the same doctors that other runners go so that they can try to download from that doctor some of the things that they've set up for this other runner so that they can have a lot of that same stuff. So they're studying each other. I mean, they're going after this with everything they got. And we can read all this stuff about how they go to pursue the prize. So here's my question. If Christ's likeness is the goal, how do we get that? What does that look like in our lives? We can talk, well, you know, you just got to read your Bible. Well, that's good, and reading our Bible is important. But I, there's got to be something else, right? You, know, you say, it's prayer. It's got to be prayer. Well, good. So we, we, need to, we need to read our Bibles and pray, and that's good. But 
is there more than that? Because I don't know about you, but I've been reading my Bible and praying for a long time, and yet I am so far away from that and feel like very often I fail in so many areas. So what else is there? And that's what I want you to discuss around your table for just a few moments, and then we'll come back with the mic because I want to hear some of the things that you talk about around the table. But what does it look like to pursue Christ? Now, this is a very specific question because I want you to take the word pursue I want you to put it in your mind in the context of how a runner has literally given their life to obtain this one gold medal. Every aspect of their lives. And I've read how many of them don't date, they don't get married and all of that other stuff because they want to just stay focused on this one thing. So they've literally given up everything. This one thing. I want you to keep that in your mind for just a moment. And I want you to discuss around your table, what does it practically look like to pursue Christ-likeness. Take a few minutes around your table. Go ahead. All right, guys. Let me, uh, let's hear from a couple tables. Maybe someone at your table said something really good. We got the mic right here. What did you hear at your table? That's how I felt about it, too. Anybody? Okay, right over here. Al. Alda Silva, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, everyone. I think what uh, we discussed here uh, was about being intentional. But I think about being intentional. If we're going to be Christ-like, there's no other way to do it. Otherwise, you're making that commitment to be intentional. And that means the small decisions. I'm going to go to bed early so I can get up early and spend time with the Lord. You know, and then you make those micro decisions. And I think Romans 1 and 2 also summarizes, you know, are you going to wake up and give yourself to the Lord that day and expect, again, be intentional. And so I guess that's what we talked about. You know, if we're going to be Christ-like, we have to make a decision every single day to do that. That's good. That's good. Being intentional, making decisions even the small ones that affect the big decisions we make. That's good. Intentionality. Anybody else? Anybody else hear something good at your table? All right, right here. Uh, I've been reading a lot of Dallas Willard recently. Yeah. And basically, he stalks, talks about starting with the, with the basics. So using the spurts analogy, um, I was talking about uh, John Wooden when he was, uh, when uh, Bill Walton tells a story about when he got on the team, John Wooden made him tie him sh his shoes, everybody on the team. Taught him how to tie their shoes. So Dallas Willard talks about it this way. Start blessing those who curse you. Set up a quiet time. Start with 10 minutes, 15. He says start with two hours, but <laughs> I say start with an hour or so. And start with the basics, you know. Forgive people. But truly forgive them. Stop living. Stop let, letting them live in your head. Get away from distractions. We have too many distractions. And 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 be, the intentional. It's a personal or interactive relationship with Christ. What do you do to have an interactive relationship with a person on this planet? Same thing. Start with the basics. You know. That's, it. That's good. Good. Start with the basics. I like that. 
you know, uh, when, when asked, yeah, you can bring it right here. When asked why he makes them tie their shoes, he said, if you get a blister playing for me, you can't play basketball for me anymore until it heals up. And I need you on the court, not on the bench. That's why I taught him how to tie their shoes. All right, right here. Uh, basically, what uh, we were saying over here is I think it all starts right here. Uh, what we're doing right, right now, uh, getting together as men, uh, discussing, studying um, God, learning um, about the Bible, being active in our, our life groups here, here at church, and actually, um, you know, studying the Bible, your own personal time with, uh, uh, with God, studying the Bible, reading God's word, and the more you read God's word, the more he's going to reveal to us about ourselves, and when he reveals uh, those things to us, then we can start to deal with those things and become Christ-like. That's good. That's good. Amen. You know, it's interesting when we watch the Olympics. Thank you, Josiah. When we watch the Olympics, we, uh, we, we see these guys that are running and stuff, and we think, oh, that's great. You know, I ran in junior high, so I really understand that. Uh, do we? Because that's more of a hobby in, you know, in the fifth grade and in the sixth grade and seventh grade. And some of you say, so, well, I enjoy running. I, I ran a marathon. Yeah, but there's a difference in running a marathon and dedicating every aspect of your life to pursuing that gold medal. And I think sometimes we treat God more as a hobby than what we're actually pursuing. And so I just want to encourage you that our goal is Christ-likeness. Now, I want us to look back at the last verse in that chapter, and here's what it says. Who will transform the body of your humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. I want you to remember this. Not only is Christ-likeness our goal, but it is possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so our guide in this journey is the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to ask you how often you talk to the Holy Spirit. Uh, I shared, I, th- I don't remember if it was last week or the week before, that I had had some things that I had been going through, and there's some guys in this room that have come around me um, and have really been encouraging. Michael and I went to lunch w- last week, and the Lord used him to speak some things into my life. Blake Nelson right back here uh, has been texting me almost every day that he prayed for me this morning and something specific that he prayed for me. And I cannot tell you how encouraging that has been. But here's what had really happened over the past few weeks. I had let the devil have a lot of ground in my mind of just throwing those fiery darts that Brother Steve's talking about. And what he's getting ready to teach on Thursday morning in Memphis when he talks about getting your mind right, getting your life right. He, he, he told us a few years ago, that you and I cannot keep the devil from throwing fiery darts at our minds. We can't keep him from doing that. But what we can do when he throws that dart is we can immediately say, "Take that, do what? We take that thought captive, like God's word says. And he says immediately say, that's not from the Lord. And, he, and he, this, this visual is what helped me. He said, literally, you pull that fiery dart out and you, you blow it out and you throw it to the ground. And he says, guess what? Sometimes the devil comes at you with rapid fire. It's not just one or two, but it's just like, and he said, you got to be ready. And I can tell you what happened in my own personal life for the last few weeks, whether it was from medicine that I was on or just discouragement or whatever that was, I had let the devil throw so many fiery darts that I couldn't hear from the Holy Spirit anymore. And I wasn't walking with the Lord. I'll just be, if we could be transparent, I hope that's okay from this platform. I couldn't do that. But what we miss oftentimes is that we can walk in that 
but it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. So yes, Christ-likeness is our goal, but it is through his power. So as I'm going through this and as I'm asking this question of how much time am I spending with the Holy Spirit, I've got to stop and ask myself, what does that even look like? Because if we want to be practical, if we say that everything inside of here has application for today, and by the way, is anybody going through the one-year Bible? Anybody? Okay, great. Keep going. I just got into Leviticus. I know there's some application in there somewhere, but sometimes I feel like I'm drowning in there, okay? I feel like I'm drowning in there, all right? I mean, you get a white head and a yellow hair and throw them out of the camp. I mean, what? I'm, I'm saying, okay, Lord, there's something in here for me. I know it. But if we believe that there's... This thing is full of application and it's practical for you and I. And he tells us to talk to the Holy Spirit and he tells us to walk in the Spirit and he tells us that we can accomplish things through the power of the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean to let the Holy Spirit have room in your life to work? What does it mean to not quench the Spirit? What do those things mean? Because we say them and we say that we believe them. But are we practically implementing those things into our lives? So that's what I want you to do around your tables for the next few minutes. I want you to discuss this question. How can you hear from the Holy Spirit? How can you hear from the Holy Spirit? I remember a friend of mine in Alabama. I was at his house one day, and his mom and dad really loved the Lord. I mean, they were just some of those people that you just wanted to be around because they just loved Jesus, and they talked about the Lord all the time. And I can remember being at their house for dinner one night, and, and we were waiting on his dad to get there. Mom's laid everything out. We're having spaghetti. The garlic bread's here. I see the chocolate cake over in the corner. We're ready to get rolling, and we're waiting, and we're waiting. And I will never forget as long as I live, Mr. Craig came running into the room, and he's holding his huge Bible. It looked like one of those big family Bibles you have on the coffee table. And he comes, and he said, the Lord just spoke to me. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. What does that mean? And he had been praying specifically for something in their family. And he's just reading through God's word. And he said he just felt like the Lord just spoke to him. Now you could say, I don't know if I believe that. Well, the Bible says that this is his word to us. So if you read it, he is speaking to you. And he believed with everything he had that God had specifically spoken to this exact thing in their family. And I could tell you exactly what it was. There was an older sibling that had rebelled against the Lord had gone to college, had chosen a different lifestyle, if you will, and was running from the Lord with everything they had. And he had cried out to the Lord for two years and had finally reached a point where he believed that person would probably never come back to the Lord because they were so deep into it. And he's reading through the Bible, and he didn't even share what verse, and he said he had this peace that passes all understanding. Have you ever had that before? And he said, it was like the Lord said to me, Keep seeking me. Keep loving them. They will turn around. And 18 months later, I will never forget that person walking into the back of our church, sitting on the back pew. My father was preaching. Had nothing to do with what my father preached because the Lord was already working on that individual. And I remember the invitation happening. And I can remember that person walking down the aisle. And my eyes were not on that person. My eyes were on Mr. Craig. And his tears just ran down his face, and he watched his child walk forward and literally surrender everything to the Lord. At the end of the service, he came up and just bear-hugged that child. And I'll never forget, as I was right there with my dad, I heard Mr. Craig say this, God's promises 
are always there. We often just don't have the ears to hear them. That's always stuck with me. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is our guide, what does it practically look like in our lives to hear from the Holy Spirit? How can we hear from the Holy Spirit? And I want you to discuss that around your tables for a few moments. All right, guys, let's hear something from around your table. When I was in high school, my 10th grade year, I played basketball for an Assembly of God school down in Alabama. And I remember going to chapel sometimes and listening, and I thought, you know, I'm from a pretty conservative Baptist church, and this is Assembly of God chapel, and boy, they're talking about some things I've never heard about before, and I, I got a little uncomfortable, and I started thinking, you know what, I think the only way God speaks is just through his word and maybe through the preacher, okay? I was about 14, 15 years old. Then I started reading in the Old Testament one day, Phil, and I realized that God spoke through a donkey. And I just realized, he can speak through a donkey, he can speak to you however he wants to. And so I've heard people say God spoke to him in a dream. I'm not trying to be mystical or freak anybody out. Here's the bottom line. God can do whatever he wants to. So I'd love to hear from your table. What would you hear around your table? Anybody? The way the Holy Spirit can speak? We got right back here again. Uh, it was pretty much the consensus of the table that it, we need quiet time. The, Jesus, every single time when he needed, let's say, regeneration or whatever, time with, he spent time with the Father alone. Sometimes he took a couple of disciples, but most of the time it was quiet time. Uh, with all the distractions, it's rare that the Holy Spirit, not unless maybe some conviction or something of that nature, will speak to you without being quiet. That's good. That's really good. I was talking with Noah uh, this morning, and we were talking about that work-life balance, that work-home balance, what does that look like? And he said, you know, remind them that even Jesus needed time alone. Because he said Jesus went in the wilderness. Now, we know he went in there to pray and fast, but he, and, he, and he went in there as well to be what? To be tempted. But what happened at the end of that? Noah reminded me this morning. It says that the Lord sent the angels to minister to Jesus. Now, I don't understand that. I don't know exactly what happened, but I know that he was hungry. I know that he was thirsty. I know that he was tired. I know that he was beat up physically. And the Lord sent angels to minister to him. So I agree with you. 100%. And here's my thought. I think it's uh, Mark 2.35. I think it says Jesus left the house early in the morning while it was still dark outside, and he spent time with the Father. He prayed. My thought is, Josiah, if, if, if Jesus needed time with the Lord, how much more do we need it? So, yes, I agree with that, and the Lord will speak to us during that time. Anybody else? Did you hear anything else at your table about how the Holy Spirit may speak? Brian Tipton, right here. He's ready. He's got both hands up. Just chunk it. Oh, he's ready. Oh, good throw. I was talking about um, John, John 10, 27, I think it is, where it says, uh, my sheep hear my voice, uh, and I know them, and they follow me. And so just the idea of us being sheep and understanding what it means to be a sheep, um, you, you know, you, you basically, they, they rely on their shepherd for everything. Mm -hmm. they, they don't have, uh, they have no choice but to sacrifice everything, um, all, any sort of selfishness for the good of the herd or, or whatever else. I mean, it's, it's literally all about, um, 
you know, placing their trust in somebody else fully. Uh, and if they're not able to do that, uh, they're going to get themselves in trouble. So just trying to find that place in your spiritual walk where you can uh, be like a sheep um, and be willing to just uh, go 100% all yeah. in, you know, not, not leave other things behind, not wander off. Uh, like we hear about with sheep, and uh, and you'll you'll uh, likely be able to hear. That's good. Hear the voice of the shepherd. I used to work with a guy who was. Thank you, Brian. I used to work with a guy who was praying about a uh, job change, and uh, he got with me and he said, "You know, uh, I'm really thinking that the Lord may be calling me to be a police officer." And I thought, "Well, that's interesting. I've known you for a long time. You've never mentioned that." And he said, "Well, you know, as a little boy, that was my dream." And I said, well, praise the Lord. And he said, I really think I'm at a good place, my marriage and everything, to make a job change. And uh, uh, I'm going to apply to be a police officer. And he said, do you think if they give me a call that that means God wants me to take the job? And I said, well, I can't answer that for you, buddy. I said, all, all I know is you just need to be, you need to pray. Your wife needs to pray. Y'all need to be in unison on that decision. But I believe that you will know if God really wants you to take it. And he said, well, I, you know, how? I, I don't know how. I, what am I looking for? I said, well, I, I can't answer that for you because God speaks to people different ways. And so he, he was just very determined that God was going to have to show him some way. And so I remember sitting with him in my office when I used to have my office right here. And I remember praying right up there on our couch, on my couch. And we prayed that God would somehow show him. We said, Lord, we don't know where it is. We don't know how it is. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know what you want to do. But please, if he's supposed to be a police officer, we need you to show him. And if you don't want him to be a police officer, then, then, then show him that. Well, the day comes where he has got to let the police force know today at 2 o'clock whether or not he's going to go into the academy. He comes to my office. He said, he hadn't told me. He hadn't told me. I, I don't know. What do I do? I said, I don't know. I don't know what you do, you know. So I, I, I knew I had a little bit of money on me for my birthday. I reached in. I said, listen, I said, take this money. Your, your kids are at daycare. Go get your wife right now. Go to lunch and spend some time just praying and talking about it and see if you're both on the same page. And let's just pray God tells you. So they go right over here at Osaka, okay, right across the street. It's like 1215. I get a call at like 1220. I thought, boy, that's short and sweet. You know, God, God showed up and, and she said, no, that's exactly, it's a woman's intuition and, and he's not going to be a police officer. And I answered the phone. He's like, I'm in the bathroom, but you're never going to believe this. I said, she said, no. He said, no. He said, you told me that, 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 that somehow God may, may give me an answer, but we didn't know what it looked like. He said, so I told my wife, I took her by the hands. I said, baby, we're just going to pray and we need God to speak. And he said, I prayed the longest prayer I've ever prayed in my life. We prayed like 10 minutes sitting at Osaka. He said, we looked up, and the 10 tables that surrounded us is the entire police force from right down the road. He said, I can't make it up. He said, I bet there's 50 of them in here. And he said, when I looked up and my wife looked up, she said, I don't know how to explain this, but you better get to that academy. And I say that to say sometimes we've put God in such a small box. We don't think he wants to speak to us. I want to tell you as a man, God loves you. He designs you. He created you and he desires to have fellowship with you. And so the Holy Spirit is our guide. Now the very last thing I want us to see right here is this. Verse 17, brethren, join in following my example. I started out with that where Paul says, 
Look at me and follow what I am doing. And all he was saying is, I'm pursuing Christ with everything I've got. So just follow what I'm doing. Just follow Jesus with everything you've got. And notice what he says next. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. What does he say? Observe those who walk. In other words, look around you and see who else is pursuing Jesus. Who else is going after Jesus with everything they've got? My student pastor told me this when I was in the 10th grade. He said, Derek, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at your Christian life. I want you to look at somebody that's kind of down the road. They've been saved a lot longer, and they're really walking with the Lord. And you look at their relationship with the Lord, and you say, I would love to have a relationship with like, like that. And he said, I want you to go talk to him and say, hey, would you pour into me and teach me how you fell so in love with Jesus? And he said, that's your mentor. That's who's going to disciple you. And he said, then look to your left and to your right and see what guys are right there with you, and you're running together. And he said, grab hold of those guys' hands. Those are your encouragers. Those are the guys that you're going to kind of run this life with. And then he said, and then I want you to look behind you, and I want you to find somebody that maybe isn't saved, or maybe is just new to the faith, and they're just trying to figure this whole thing out. And he said, I want you to encourage them and help them like the guy way down there is helping you. He said, but listen, you need men in your life that are pouring into you. And you need to be pouring into men as well. And what Paul is saying is, look at me as I pursue Christ and look at the other guys around you that are pursuing Christ as well. So number three, your encourager should be someone ahead of you. Now, we can all encourage each other. We can all speak of words of encouragement. What does Brother Steve always say? It's to take courage and place it inside someone else. He always says, don't be a discourager where you take courage and pull it out of somebody else. We don't like that. We don't want to be around that person, so don't be that person. So we can encourage each other, but I'm telling you, there should be some people in your life that they're the ones you call. Today I was working through a a situation, and and, and I was was trying to make a good decision, and I I wanted to make the right decision. I had prayed about it, and my wife and I had prayed about it, and I I thought I knew what decision it was, but I, I just felt like I really need to speak to someone. So I texted Brother Steve. I said, you have five minutes. I just would love to ask your thoughts on this. And I went in there, and he's somebody that I love and I respect and I admire, and he gave me five minutes, and I said, here's the situation. He said, man, said, that's tough. He said, you know, this is what I think. Look at God's word, and, and he gives me this counsel. And I said, that's exactly what my wife and I prayed and felt the peace about. And he just confirmed what the Holy Spirit had already confirmed in my heart. And we need those people. I look at Drew Tucker. I love Drew Tucker. If you don't know this, Drew's in his 60s. He's probably eyeing retirement in the next few years, maybe 10 years. I don't know when that's going to be. Uh, Drew, if you're uh, listening to the recap of this, maybe 20 years. But, uh, but, you know, he's probably thinking that way. But this very seldom that I'm not in a deep conversation with Drew that he doesn't mention something that his mentor told him in the last few weeks. So here's a guy that's 63 that's been in the ministry most of his life and has preached and he has taught and he loves Jesus and he's pursuing Christ and he has somebody that he calls and is pouring into him. And I'm thinking, that's what I need. I need some guys like that. And so I want to ask you the question. I want you to discuss it just for a moment around your table. Who is speaking into your life that is further down the road than you are? And maybe nobody. For me, most of my life, it's been my father. And now I have a few other guys that are speaking in my life, and I love it. And I'll be honest with you, I need it. I desire that. I crave it. As iron sharpens iron, so one man does another. And we need that in our lives. So it'd be a little transparent just for a moment. And if you don't have anybody like that, you don't have to answer at your table. But I think it would be good for us to hear around the table 
Do you have that? And if not, I would challenge you with this. Who could that be? Who do you see? Who do you look at and say, you know what? Man, that guy's just loved Jesus for years and years and years and years. And man, I bet he could teach me something. So I want you to talk about just for a minute around the table, and then I'll close us out. Go ahead. All right, guys. Let me, let me wrap us up here. And I want to give you one of two action steps for you tonight, or this week, before we meet next Wednesday. I'm not, they're not going to be on the screens. Number one, if you have somebody like that in your life, who's speaking truth into your life, who you trust and who is encouraging you, I want to challenge you this week to write them a letter, a handwritten note. There's a lot of power in a handwritten note. I've got a couple handwritten notes over the past few weeks, and they have spoken to me deeply because it means someone has taken the time to let me know that they're thinking about me and praying about me. So I want you to write them a note. The second thing is, if you don't have somebody like that in your life, I want you to pray this week that God would give you somebody like that. Now, I did an interesting thing about three years ago. I got about three younger guys in the room and three older guys in the room, and I just asked a bunch of questions. And one of the things that we talked about was the fact that the Bible talks about the older women teaching the younger women and the older men teaching the younger men, and yet oftentimes we don't see that relationship in the church because we've segmented it out by age groups. And so how do we break down those walls? And I could take you to the room we were sitting in, and I could take you to the chairs we were sitting in when the old, one of the older guys in the room said, well, they haven't asked. They haven't asked me. And the younger guy sitting right beside me got a little upset by that and said, well, you're the more mature believer. You're further down the road. You're deeper in the faith. You should come to me. And I realized there was a disconnect and I realized that there was a need on both sides. The older man wanted that. He desired to take what God had showed him over the past 50 years and pour it into a younger guy. And the young guy sitting over here saying, give it to me. But neither one was willing to ask the question. And so I would say this to you. Ask the Lord to bring to mind, to bring someone in your path. It could be somebody at your table. It could be somebody in this room. It could be somebody in your life group. It could be somebody that you grew up with. It could be somebody at your old church. I don't care who it is. Make sure they love Jesus, going after the Lord. And then I would encourage you to pray that the Lord would give you the opportunity to ask them to pour into you. I don't know what that looks like. I'm not saying you need an accountability partner. I'm not saying you need to be discipled. I'm saying that we each need some guys speaking into our lives. Now, I want to close with this. I know what you're thinking. Well, we talked about well-being, a work-life balance, a leisure-rest balance, and this seems to be all about following Jesus and falling deeper in love with Jesus, well, I just want to remind you that when those runners are running after Christ with every, or running after the, the gold medal with everything they've got, the little things don't bother them because they're laser focused on the prize. They're not as bothered by all the little things, by the flat tires and by the traffic and by this and by that because they're so laser focused at the direction they're going Little things don't bother them. And I would submit to you and I that if we were so laser focused on Christ and everywhere God placed us, we were focused on Christ-likeness, it wouldn't be as big of an issue for us. Now, I'm all about leaving work at work and going home and pouring into your family. And I'm all about leisure time. And I'm all about all of that. 
But we cannot segment our life out and exclude Christ from everything. No. I want to encourage you with this. I want to encourage you that the goal is Christ-likeness. And the Holy Spirit is your guide. But you also need somebody in your life that's encouraging you. Sometimes, I don't know if you know this, we need a little push. We need a little nudge. I kept saying I was going to go back to school for years. And my wife would say, you need to go back to school. And my parents would say, you need to go back to school. My mother and father would say, you go back to school. And I never did it for years. One day, Brother Steve said, you got to go back to school. I signed up the next morning. My wife says, well, I see where I rank. The bottom line is we need guys like that in our lives. Let me say this to you. Isolation welcomes the devil. It welcomes the devil. Don't isolate yourself from the Holy Spirit. Don't isolate yourself from the Lord. Don't isolate yourself away from other men. We need this. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. I thank you for these men. God, I thank you that your word is alive and well. I thank you that it's applicable to us today. I thank you, Lord, that you have called us to follow after you with everything we've got. Lord, I thank you that these men are here tonight. And Lord, I know Satan is going after them with everything he's got. So Lord, tonight, would you please protect their minds? Would you be Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner over them? Would you fight their battles for them? Would you convict all of us in this room of any sin that's in our lives? Would you encourage us? Would you draw us close to yourself? And then Lord, would you allow us to go back into our places of work, our homes, our places that we experience our hobbies, our churches, and live as if we are pursuing you as the ultimate prize, not just a hobby that we play on Saturday mornings. So God, we thank you that you love us. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.